guys. He's been on the show before. He's a really good fella. He's a physiotherapist who specializes in working with runners specifically. I always enjoy having him on. Brody Sharp is his name. And today we catch up to speak about some of the common misconceptions that runners have based on what they've heard, what they've learned over the years. He wants to debunk a few. And I've been in the running scene for so long and found this super interesting. As I say during this chat, there's a couple that I still fall for, a couple that I'm a sucker for, and a couple that I had to pick his brain about a little bit further. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you're brand new to the sport, you've been in it forever. If you're looking at improving your running performance, this episode is a great one for you. Hey, as you know, this episode is now sponsored by Precision Hydration, has been for the last few weeks now. Um, I had Andy Blow on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, who's the main man at Precision Hydration out at, out at, he's in the UK. And, uh, I, I was fascinated by what he said because my whole life, speaking of generic advice, I've been told just make sure you're drinking plenty of water, stay hydrated, your performance will be completely fine. And there was just so much missing from my little um, perspective on this subject that uh, it was great to pick his brain and just be corrected on so much of that. Um, as I tell you every week, I've been using their products now. I'm not just going to throw it out there and say, hey, you should use it. I'm a genuine fan of what it is they ha- that they offer. I've done their online sweat test and I've bought my personalized products which are uh, you know recommended for my particular strength of sweat they've offered me a strength of sweat sounds disgusting doesn't it that's not what i meant to say (laughs) they offer different strength of electrolytes that match how much i sweat same is true for you so i've linked the online sweat test which is free in the show notes for you to check out if you like what they're about get on board with their products they're giving you 15 percent off their first off your first purchase simply type in the coupon code relaxed15 that's all in capitals relaxed15 at precisionhydration.com as i said that's 15 percent off if you want to know more about their products you can book a free one-to-one call with a sweat expert in the link that i've sent uh, that i've linked link that i've linked in the uh, show notes below or simply email them at hello at precisionhydration.com. If you've already got on board, would love to hear a little bit of feedback. We'd love to know how you found it. Some more interesting blog posts and stuff from Precision Hydration in the show notes as well. So guys, that's enough from me. Let me get out of your way and introduce to you running physiotherapist Brody Sharp. Of course, yeah. Yeah, all right, let's do it. Well, I was trying to actually think before um, I, I called you to record this podcast when the last time you were on, because I think you hold the record now. It'll be your, your third visit on the Relaxed Running Podcast. And I always look go. forward to having you on because the conversations always seem easy. The time goes fast. And, mate, this is a world that I just have no idea about, really, in comparison to a bloke like you. So to pick your brain on misconceptions around running and injuries and, you know, just little ways that the listeners and myself can, you know, tweak their training and their recovery to, to – make themselves a little bit more consistent is always nice. But do you remember when it was that we last caught up? Um, oh, God. It, it would have been somewhere at the start of the year. I think it. I think the first time I was on was – I think we both started the, uh, po- the our podcast around similar times. Um, I know mine was January this year, and um, I think it probably might have been March, something like that. 
Yeah, that's right. Because you had a podcast before the Run Smarter yeah. podcast, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I had the Everyday Running Legends, which as of this month now does not exist because I was paying for it just to exist. And um, <laughs> as soon I wasn't getting any downloads for that podcast. And I'm like, you know what? Paying five bucks US a month just to keep it existing. Let me um, unsubscribe. And I had until I unsubscribed and I had until the end of the month until it like just disappeared off people's phones forever. And then I started getting downloads. I started getting like maybe 40, 50 a day. Um, just like someone or a couple of people just found the podcast. I'm like, oh no, now they're going to like <laughs> this podcast. And one day, which was like four days ago, they're going to go to their phone and it's just not going to be on there. It's not going to exist. I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. But I don't know. That's, that's um, the universe, I think, as soon as I decided to get rid of it. That's funny. Did you give out any links to people to let them know about your new one, which has gone back gangbusters just quietly? I've, uh, yeah, I've seen your audience so, growing and I always um, see your name. It's funny when uh, podcasts give you recommended podcasts that are like yours. Whenever I'm yeah. on, on, on Apple, um, I'll see my podcast and I'll say, hey, like this. And it's always yours right okay. up next to me. So I'm like, Fair oh, enough. mate, this guy's, uh, this guy's got good taste. We might have um, similar audiences. I don't know. They might have recognized the, the links there. But uh, I think the, the very last episode of my old podcast is the first episode of my new podcast. So that's what I hoped that would carry people over. And I explained to them, like, you know, we're jumping ship, so come join me on the other one. And hopefully it got a couple of people across. Yeah, that's good. I remember before I started this one, about two years ago when I was living in London, I had one, and I guess it was about living mindfully is the is the best way you could say it. And I, I was right into the minimalists and I was right into simple living, and I still am. Uh, but at the time, it was it was just a real passion of mine. And I was having some awesome awesome interviews. Then when I got back to Australia, I sort of hit pause on it for a little while and wasn't a hundred percent sure what I was trying to do with it or what I was trying to make it. And then I thought, oh, gee, I just miss chatting to people about things that I find interesting. And I thought like, what better, uh, you know, conversation to kickstart again than a running one, which is one of my biggest passions. And I thought, well, actually before that happened, I called Luke Matthews and I said, mate, I've got this podcast called Intention, which was my old one. And I was like, all right, I'm going to kickstart this again. And then I thought, nah, you know what? I'm going to start something fresh in the running scene. And I used that last episode of the uh, intention podcast which was luke matthews to kickstart this one so i was like mate i hope you don't mind i had him yeah, on nice. as a as an actual guest on the relaxed running one since then so i feel like i've legitimized it a little bit more <laughs> but yeah. um, but it's a it's a fun game to be a part of man i don't know about you but i just i just i love listening to podcasts i love hearing people speak about things i'm interested in and there's just it's amazing. I have to be disciplined with the podcast that i listen to now because there's i don't know about you but there's so many on my feed which i'm so desperate to listen to they all sound interesting i have to sort of prioritize what it is that i hit pause on and press delay on and <laughs> which yeah. ones i listen to i'm exactly the same i listen to so many different podcasts but i have the luxury like i don't have a family like you I, I live with my brother and i pretty much spend most of my day with earphones in just listening i go for a run listen to podcasts like i clean the house i do my cooking all that's just listening to podcasts and i get through my episodes um pretty frequently so i think I'm always finding new ones and getting rid of ones that I'm like, ah, oh, they're sort of getting a bit old. But I constantly have about, I don't know, 10 to 12 podcasts in rotation. Gee, so What yeah, are a I couple of the ones you got content. going most regularly? Which one? No, um, which ones are you most, yeah, which ones are you listening to the most? Uh, I listen to Joe Rogan, but that doesn't really surprise a lot of people because since it's <laughs> being so popular. But um, I've, I'll pull up my, my list. I'll find some good ones for you. There's, I just updated my phone, so it's just like getting a bit slow. Um 
Oh, they've changed the whole layout. <laughs> oh, have they? Uh, While you look, I actually, I'm on the Joe Rogan bandwagon as well, but I reckon I, I probably listen to about one in 20 because he posts okay. so regularly and I'm not always interested. Obviously, I'm, I'm right into the comedy scene as well. So sometimes if there's a good comedian that I like on there, I, I can't help myself but tune in. But I, I listened to one with Matthew McConaughey the other day. I don't know if oh, you yeah. heard that one. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah, it was pretty enjoyable. I got his um, I got his audio book on, on, just on Audible and had to listen to that after that. I've always been a bit of a fan of just how cool he is. And uh, yeah. yeah, he didn't he didn't lose any cool points in my eyes after that uh, after that interview. But he's actually on Tim Ferriss as well, which was a good chat. It was for anyone who's right into sort of daily routines and rituals and just the things that get you up and about. It's a it's a good one to go check out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've got like a whole bunch of different ones. Business Wars is one that I listen to. Um, Empowered Beyond Pain is one around like low back pain, similar to my podcast, but instead of for runners, it's for people with low back pain. I listen to Hamish and Andy all the time. Um, yeah. How Dude, I built this it's so funny. Nice. I was oh, how I built this. Sorry to interrupt you. I um, I'm such a messy fan of Hamish and Andy, and I, I fangirled the other day because I was huh. taking my little man Charlie for a walk. Just on it was a cold day. I shouldn't have been out, and I was like, oh mate, I hope it's not too cold for him. Anyway, I, I live in Hawthorne, and I was just walking along the local path here, just down along the Yarra. I saw this good-looking bloke walk towards me from a distance, and I was like, hey, he's a good-looking unit. He had his son um, or a little kid with him just up on his shoulders. I was like, oh, yeah, dad duties. Anyway, I walked past, and as I got closer, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Andy Lee. So I tried to play oh. cool, just gave him a nod and a thumbs up. But, like, the fangirl inside me was desperate just to start up a conversation. But I said, Tice, mate, don't try to be the king of combo. Just keep walking. <laughs> nice yeah, that's cool. What were you saying? You had how I built this as well. It's a great. That's a how great chat. Is, yeah, I was just going through the list of podcasts that I have. I've got yours on here as well on the list. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, most strength running to. podcast. That's really nice. Um, what you will learn is another one of two Aussie blokes to just review books because I'm a big book buff as well. So they it's usually around personal development and that sort of thing. But they just review books. Um, yeah, so a whole mixed bag really. Awesome, man. Yeah, I've seen you've been a busy man the last few months. I actually um. I, I don't know if I think I mentioned to you before that I started a YouTube channel a little while ago, but I've been super inconsistent with the content that I was putting up there. Anyway, I uh, I got a comment on one of my videos recently because it's been a bit more of a focus of mine. It was some friendly runner just giving me a little bit of love saying, hey, enjoy the content, enjoy the hard work. So I was like, oh, what a good bloke. So I went and looked at his channel and about 12 videos down, I saw a, your good looking head on oh, no one way. of the, uh, it was the, it was a bald American bloke. I can't, I don't know his name. But um, he had a running YouTube channel. He had lots of shoe reviews and stuff on there. Mm. Sorry to throw that one. I know you're going on a few podcasts at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, I literally like the – I've been on like a campaign trail. So the la I counted the last um, 25 days I've been on 22 podcasts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, campaign trail. Mate, you're on a mission. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what Matthew McConaughey was doing himself to, uh, to pu publicize <laughs> his new book. So you're on the same trail. Similar, very. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you um when you messaged me a couple of weeks ago, it was it was a, a really good email because, as I said, I like chatting to you about these things. And obviously, the one of the biggest issues that any runner is going to have to deal with or try and navigate is you can be the most talented athlete in your world in the world, but if you if you're not consistent with your training and you're not stringing together consistent days and being patient and and you know constantly watching injuries and whatever else might lurk up to take away consistency from you, there's just so many athletes that that fall short of what their natural talent is. In fact, I was, I was having a chat just on the weekend. I was, I was talking to one of my best mates and we were just going through a couple of names of people who had all the talent in the world. And for whatever reason, you know, injuries hampered their ability and they've ended up running their fastest times at 18 or 19. And unfortunately for them, probably missing out on an opportunity to throw some really big times down on the, 
on the board. And it's not just true for international runners by any means. It's 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 probably even more relevant to the people who are, you know, maybe started a little bit later and their their bodies aren't quite adapted and adjusted to the heavy load that they're starting to put it through. And uh, I know that I know that I talk to a number of runners. I'm I'm sure you'd speak to way more than me who are who are quite new to the sport. Get excited and put in so much work so early, and I'm like, hang on a second, my body's really sore. Yeah. So, um, man, walk me through the idea because you were saying to me, uh, uh, like, there's so many misconceptions around running, and I I wouldn't mind handballing it to you. I've got a big list up on my screen here that we could walk through, but I always enjoy just going through a list of some of the most common injuries, some of the most common misconceptions. And some of the big downfalls that runners should be careful to avoid in order to be able to provide that consistency. So I'm happy to do it any way you want. If you wanted to throw a few at me, and as always, I'll pick your brain, or I can throw a few at you, and uh, I'm happy for you to explain, elaborate, and then I'll, I'll just ask what I'm curious about. Yeah, cool. Um, absolutely. Like consistency is the key with in, like trying to get uh, some sort of performance or trying to get to your best, your physical best. And I was actually listening to a webinar couple of weeks ago with Shona Halsey and she was she works with a lot of like international athletes and she was saying um a stat around those who have who get the best performances and um the world records those who win medals those who finish on top there's a, a strong correlation between how consistently they've trained like less days off less sick days um and all that sort of thing so like boosting your immunity and trying to stay as fit and healthy as possible, trying to essentially prevent injuries or have less time off because of injuries uh, will lead to that like top tier performance down the track. So it, it's, if we're talking about the elite athletes, it's, it's key. But then you've got, like you said, those runners who are just recreational runners or those who just start running, they're not too sure why they get injured either and it's a pretty simple equation pretty simple breakdown if someone wanted to learn and it's a, a lot of overuse injuries are just doing too much too soon doing too much that the body isn't used to and essentially what you're doing is you're exceeding the uh, uh, you're exceeding the load for the body to adapt and if you keep just below that threshold what the body does is get stronger but it's just finding out where that threshold is, where you go from that sweet spot to that injury zone um, can be very tough for someone. And I think a lot of runners can get a grasp of weekly mileage or just mileage within a given run or speed. Like that, those are tangibles that people can really relate to. But there can be also be drastic changes like terrain that people don't think about or changing their shoe type way too quickly or changing their running style way too abruptly and these are still spikes in training it's they're still uh if you don't slowly adjust to these changes then the body will say we're doing too much too soon it's something that we're not used to it's something quite foreign that we haven't yet adapted for and then the body starts breaking down so i think if we wanted to start with the most general concept of why runners get injured it would be that it'd be to make sure you're not doing too much too soon and make sure that we're not making any drastic changes without slowly allowing the body time to adapt. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things I find fascinating when it comes to the subject of injury, actually, you can, this, this little example, it goes out to every facet of your life. It's, it's what's genetic and what is sort of brought upon by 
just a, you know, an unuseful approach to whatever it is that you're doing. So I know a lot of people that I speak to, they might say, Oh, you know, I'm going through anxiety, but it's just, it's, it's something that's just stuck in my family. And, you know, my dad had it, my, my dad's dad had it. And now I've got it. And, and sure, like sometimes there might be a, a facet of what's hereditary. It might be, um, you might be more likely. I've got a mate in Sydney who eats a donut and puts on four kilos. He said his dad was exactly the same as him, whereas I'm quite thin. My dad's quite the same. But I know there's a, a number of factors that you can take into consideration to give yourself the best opportunity to overcome whatever it is. So in this case, that would be injury. And I, I always look at people and I go, okay, because um, it's always been my perspective that staying injury-free is a talent of its own. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't have the ability to either monitor how your body's feeling and whether you're recovering effectively or have the talent to actually be able to just endure a whole heap of work, there's no way that you're going to top off your your best performances um, just constantly being on the sidelines trying to navigate your way through injury. So from a physio's point of view, is is it your perspective that it's more of a – is it a hereditary gift? Are you just gifted genetically to be able to avoid injuries? You know what I mean, overuse injuries. Obviously, broken legs are a different story. But – yeah. Or is that something that you think anyone can improve on with the right guidance and, and right approach? Yeah. I always say that to get the, the total goal of injury prevention, to get that injury prevention down to zero is totally unachievable. There's going to be something that might break down. There's going to be some niggles that happen here and there. Um, so we can't get that injury prevention, that risk down to zero. It's just unattainable. What where the real power comes into it is learning to minimize, make smart decisions to minimize your risk of injury. Definitely. Um, you can get that closer to zero, but then once symptoms do arise and once you do start getting niggles, it's knowing how to correctly interpret those, those signals or those symptoms that arise and then knowing what to do once those symptoms arise, like making smarter decisions to overcome that within a couple of days. And so you're not mismanaging it in the first week and then you've got like this four week injury and then if you mismanage it more or for an extended period of time then it's like months and months of an injury and so that's where the real power of consistency comes in it's making the smart decisions to reduce your risk of injury and then if niggles do happen it's knowing exactly what to do in order to bounce back a lot quicker so you don't so you still maintain fitness you haven't lost any fitness in a couple of days and you um yeah and then you're just back on track there is some evidence around um, genetics and developing a tendinopathy. So like a flare-up of a tendinopathy, they've actually found a genetic component within your DNA in some people that leave them more predisposed to developing a tendinopathy. But in saying that, if you train smart and you do all the, the right things, um, you're still going to have less. If you train smarter, you're still going to reduce your risk of developing that anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if we spoke about this last time you were on the show, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway, because one of the things I tease my wife about is because of the fact I've been in the sport for so long and, and physical exercise has been a part of my life since I was a young kid, I've, I reckon I've developed a really good ability to be aware of what a certain pain in my body is. So if I wake up and I'm a little bit sore in my ankle, I'll, I'll be aware of the fact, it, is it a rolled ankle or is it something that's been coming on slowly for a few weeks? And in the back of my mind, it's almost like there's a little bit of a scanner just subconsciously going mm -hmm. on, just keeping an eye on all of the, the, the potential dangers that might limit my ability to get out and train. Whereas my wife, we've been married now for 11 years, and um, when we first got together, it was so funny because exercise was 0% of her life. She didn't really care about it, wasn't that interested in it. 
And pretty much the first year we got together, she started getting into it. But even now, 11 years later, I tease her because she'll go out and get a massage and it might be a deep tissue massage and she'll wake up the next day and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sore. I've done something to my back. Something's out of place. This mass. I'm like, no, no. Like, I think it's actually been triggered by the fact this masseuse has gone in pretty hard <laughs> yeah. to some of your muscles. And she always struggles to know what is a dangerous uh, amount of pain that might be something she needs to manage and what is something that is completely fine and just, uh, you know, can pretty much be trained through. Have, there, have you got any general guidelines or general rules to, to help athletes navigate that? Because that's that's something that, because I live with a person who deals with it, it's at the forefront of my mind, and I just don't have the words to explain to her what to look out for. I just know that based on whatever happened 24 hours earlier, whether what she's talking about is serious or it's not. Yeah. The, the uh, category or trying to sort the category, what's good pain or okay pain and what's bad pain, um, is something that we can easily identify. There might be some gray areas, but um, for the general part, we're looking at, say, good good pain would be, say, delayed onset muscle soreness. So anyone who's been to a gym and done an exercise they haven't done for a long time or lifted heavier than they used to or on the track if they've done hill sprints or strides that they haven't done for a long time, the next day their muscles will be sore. And that's okay because it makes sense. You've, um, ad- like the characteristics of that pain tend to be, okay, pain comes on the next day. It tends to be around the muscle belly and you usually, it's usually sore to like stretch that muscle or activate that muscle. It's just, it's very vague, um, widespread within that muscle belly. And then it's, it's, you've overcome it in, you know, three days, sometimes, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more, but that's general, like good soreness because that's the body getting stronger. It's the body adapting. And anything that kind of makes sense, anything that's kind of widespread that kind of makes sense with the history. So if your wife went for a massage yesterday, the next day she's woken up and she's quite sore. Maybe it's because the massage is just like there's a pattern there. And if she hasn't got a massage for a long time, she'll probably find if she has regular massages at that same intensity, then she just won't wake up feeling that sore. It's, people just get used to it. Um, but the bad pain can be, things that are usually a little bit more localized like you can pinpoint with your finger it's usually not in the muscle unless you've torn the muscle but it's usually like a tendon or a ligament or within a joint um they're not great areas for um for good pain and the the uh, onset when the onset comes on sometimes it's during a run sometimes it's once you've cooled down sometimes like if it's either during a run or cool down, usually they aren't good pain. It's come on way too soon for it to be good pain. Um, and like with good pain, when it, when it's resolved within three days, bad pain tends to linger around for lo- a lot longer than three days. And so no matter what the signs and symptoms, if you've had it for longer than four or five days, we know that you probably have to start getting it addressed um, and start making better decisions. So there's just certain behaviors, certain characteristics around location, around the onset of the pain, how long it's lasting for, what the nature of it is to kind of separate between the two. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I want to pick your brain on this because recently I bought a brand new pair of shoes. I wish I had them here to show you. Um, I've been an ASICS man for years and still love the shoes, but I was just, I was, they were, they were coming out with a couple of ugly, ugly brands, which I, uh, uh ugly, uh, what do you say? 
new releases, which I was like, I don't want to yeah. wear those. I want to wear something more stylish. So I look cool when yeah. I'm running down the street. <laughs> I need all the help. It's a fashion show. It's a fashion show, 100%, especially when the sun's out. I got to, all I'm going to be uh-huh. wearing is my shorts and a pair of shoes. So they both have to look good to make up for my rig. But um, one of the things that uh, I feel like is just drilled in on a real basic level to every person at Rebel Sport is I went in, I said, I'm looking for a pair of shoes. They said, okay, what are you looking for? I said, well, I usually wear ASICs. 1000s or whatever they were they had like a little bit of arch support a little bit of heel support and i always hear people talk about okay have you got flat feet have you got arch feet or you're somewhere in between and good questions but i started to wonder lately i'm like i reckon they're they're surely great questions for someone who runs a a whole heap during the week and i used to run 120 150k a week when i was training seriously so i was really cautious about just looking after the little one percenters like that to make sure that i was giving myself the best chance to stay injury free then I thought, hang on, Toss. Right now, man, I'm probably running 30, maybe 40K a week max. And when I went to look for my shoes, I was thinking, I'm just going to branch out. I'm just going to roll the dice here, even though it's against my better judgment. And I'm going to buy a pair of shoes which are neutral, which I haven't run in for 10 years. I don't want to jinx it, but I've had them for a month now, and, and I feel great. I've had no problems. Um, as I said, my feet are relatively flat. I've usually got like a little bit of arch support. What are your thoughts when it comes to shoes and shopping for shoes? Um, is it is it really important that someone with flat feet who's only running a few Ks a week find the actual right style of shoe when it comes to that basic level of support that shoes have built into them? Or if they have such flat feet that it's causing them problems, would you recommend they go to an actual podiatrist to get that sorted out? I, I guess I'm asking for a little bit of comfort in the fact that I've made the right choice. However, I'm also <laughs> happy to be pulled into line <laughs> well, um, I, I have a lot of research to back me up on my, my views on this. And when you said that they asked, you know, what do you have flat feet? And you said that's a good question. I'd kind of have a bit of pushback and say that's not really a good question. But this is what the the people working in shoes towards are told. Like you look at someone's foot shape and then you assign that to a certain type of shoe. Usually if it's a flat flat foot, they need more support. And that kind of makes intuitive sense if someone's not providing the support with their own body they need the the artificial support in order to thrive and reduce their risk of injury because we've all seen the the side-by-side comparison of someone's foot collapsing in and that the achilles is bowing and it's like puts their hip out and it puts their their knees collapse in and then they have some support underneath and that side-by-side comparison all of a sudden everything magically aligns and that just makes intuitive sense it just makes like you look at that billboard and you look at that advertising style and you're like yep that makes sense but there's no the, what the research shows is there's zero correlation between your shoe uh, the shoe that you need and the foot shape that you have so someone with a really low arch someone with a collapsing arch we could call it or someone who pronates more than another they might thrive in a shoe that has a lot of support but the same another person could walk in with the same type of foot and find it extremely uncomfortable and not thrive in that shoe and they might benefit from something with less support or less of a heel drop or something a little bit more flexible. And that's what the science shows is a zero correlation. So if we're talking about good questions to ask, if someone was to go into a shoe store, um, what would be some good questions are, okay, what shoes do you currently wear? Do you, what shoes have you wore in the past? What have you found comfortable? Um, What's your running mileage? What type of running do you do? Do you do hills? Do you do, you know, have you had any injuries in the past? That's a huge question to ask. But the people working at shoe stores just don't have that level of education. And if someone says, yeah, I've had like knee pain for the last, 
you know, three years on and off, um, they wouldn't know what type of shoe would reduce the loads on the knee. Um, so the advice I have for runners is try different shoes, try a varied bunch of different shoes and see what you find most comfortable, what you find uh, you run most comfortable in. And that's going to be the shoe you're most likely going to be able to thrive with the research. We can't say that reduces your risk of injury, but we can show that we show that comfort does tend to um, allow for more consistency and allow you just to thrive in shoes a bit better, be a bit more regular with your training. And yeah, that's the number one advice I'd have for people. Just try a whole bunch of different things. If someone is injured or has had a long history of injuries, that's when we can tailor our shoe advice for that individual. But there's no one shoe that's going to reduce everyone's risk of injury. That's where we have to tailor for the individual. On the performance side of things, there is evidence to show that if you go with a lighter shoe, a lighter shoe will help increase your running economy and help increase your endurance um, performance. But I guess that's another topic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I um, always wonder, with if you had uh, you know, a patient come in to see you, I know you're not a podiatrist, so, so they probably wouldn't come to see you, you might redirect them, but uh, you mentioned the artificial support that might not naturally be in your feet um, when you're going to get something with a little bit more support in the actual shoe. Um, that was a tongue twister, but I hope that made sense. It, it's a, it, it's one thing to you know support it artificially, and it's another thing to try and actually improve what it is that you're trying to improve with gear naturally. Is is that a focus amongst podiatrists or physios? Um, in trying to say if someone came in with flat feet, is it actually possible to do exercises that can give you um, higher arches that are actually going to make you a, a more comfortable in a neutral shoe, or is that something that pretty much if you if you've got it, you can't adjust it? Because it seems to me that uh, so much modern science, especially when it comes to mindset, is what we once thought was stagnant and you're stuck with now has quite the ability to to be manipulated and adjusted. And I thought, I wonder how often that filters out to to other areas of our life. Yeah, your body adapts to a, a whole bunch of different things. And when it comes to support of your arches, no, you won't do strengthening to increase the height of your arch. We just haven't seen the evidence there. But what we do is a whole bunch of strengthening to increase your capacity to tolerate higher loads with that arch that you have, which is why strength and conditioning is so effective. Um, so I guess when it comes to your question around does do we require that support for comfort i'd say some people require the support for comfort but others don't need the support at all and they're just as comfortable without the support so that's where it really depends on the individual and if someone does have pain because or if someone does have arch pain whether they have high arches low arches whatever the strengthening component doesn't change the shape of your foot it just changes the loads and changes your ability to tolerate higher and higher loads so that uh, the body will adapt and get stronger because that's what it's good at doing and those who have really low arches we see like top endurance athletes like marathoners they some of them pronate like overly pronate some have really collapsing feet and they're not breaking down they're not getting injured just because your body has adapted to your running style your body has adapted to the feet that you have and the the mechanics that you have and as long as you don't have those spikes in training and you slowly build yourself up and build this enormous base that your body can adapt to then uh your likelihood of breaking down is significantly low yeah that's good it's a it's an overwhelming topic i think when you're new to the sport because like being new to anything there's a million things to try and navigate your way through and you hear something like this and you're like oh man like i thought i just had to go down and you know stand on a machine and they'll tell me my exact shoes to get so 
apart from asking specific questions to the people who are telling you need this particular kind of shoe, is there anyone that you would recommend that people go and see? Obviously, we'll send them towards you as well. But like John Quinn, for example, who's an exercise physiologist living up in um, living up in Sydney at the moment, he does a lot of technique work with his athletes. And um, it's actually been a bummer because he was supposed to come down here a couple of months ago, but this coronavirus threw him out and he hasn't been able to get down because a couple of people who listened to the podcast were going to go in and have a session with him all about running efficiency. Like, Surely not everyone's going to have um, the the access to to an expert like that. But apart from just asking the basic questions to the people at the shops, is there anything else that you'd recommend people look for when buying a, a particular shoe that's really well suited to them? Or is it is it pretty much it's just trial and error over a period of time? Um, to make it easy, you'd say it's trial and error. Just try different mm-hmm. shoes and see which one works for you. But if you do go with a different style of shoe, you also need to adapt to that style of shoe. You can't go, oh, you know, minimalist shoes. I feel a lot more comfortable in minimalist shoes. And then you just do a whole bunch of running in the minimalist shoes because you haven't adapted to that type yet. Mm-hmm. You'll um, increase your risk of injury. In terms of going to see someone, um, definitely someone who's like sports focused or like like a sports podiatrist rather than just a generic podiatrist or a a running physio rather than just a generic physio because there's a lot of misconceptions out there and i was taught something completely different at uni that i would not not know now unless i've done the research myself and so those who are really um they're really well versed in the latest research and the evidence that's coming out they're the ones that you want to kind of steer towards um those who kind of stay in their ways i know there's a lot of podiatrists and a lot of physios who just um, stay quite rigid with their beliefs and because things like orthotics and things like supportive shoes and that whole um, the whole like if your foot is collapsed you need a supportive shoe that whole paradigm does work for a lot of people just because they've been told you're going to survive you're going to thrive in this because your foot is collapsing they're creating these beliefs around um, the shoe and they're creating these beliefs around they've been taught but the science just doesn't show it so mm. a lot of times it, it works a lot of times telling someone uh, and instilling a lot of beliefs based on uh, what they've been taught at uni that they need orthotics because they have collapsing feet or they need supportive shoes. It, it tends to be like quite effective just because the, of the placebo effect. Um, and so that's like a bit of, it strengthens the, the therapist's belief as well. And so because what they're doing is working and yeah, it's those that kind of get stuck in their ways a little bit and don't, delve into the latest research are the ones you need to steer away from but those who show who go outside their comfort zone or um are well versed with the research and then those who also mingle with other disciplines like other health professionals outside of their own um they're some really really good signs that you're onto a winner yeah awesome man awesome now i'm having a bit of a look through the list of misconceptions that you've sent through to me that you wanted to chat about and i've realized that i'm a complete sucker for this one and i'd love to pick your brain a little bit on it um stretching helps lower the risk of injury and increases the uh, increases our performance and recovery all right i've been i've been sucker punched here and i need to be educated so you're saying that um this is a misconception so stretching doesn't really lower the risk of injury um increase performance or recovery well, what have you been told about stretching? Well, I've, uh, mine's pretty pretty basic. So I do a little bit of yoga, um, and my understanding through just doing that yoga is, and this is such a blanket level statement that I've never really looked into too far, is that it's just a beautiful technique to help aid your recovery. So it'll, I, I guess like whatever the people who say that, this is the thing with YouTube, like you can make a really good video 
Um, and if you're doing a yoga class, it's going to be awkward if you're just sitting there just doing your moves and not walking anyone through it. So there's a little bit of airtime that surely needs to be filled. So I guess now I say it out loud, it could be blanket level statements like, hey, this 30-minute uh, yoga class is going to help aid your recovery and make you get up tomorrow feeling a whole heap better, blah, blah, blah. And I go, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because I always feel good when I stretch. I always feel a bit more loose. I feel a bit more relaxed. It makes sense that that's going to help me um, reduce my ability to get injured. But as I said, I've never looked into it a whole heap. I've probably just swallowed that tablet and thought, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, so there are some blanket statements we can make with the research that's out there, and there is a lot of research out there, and that is stretching, static stretching in particular, doesn't do anything to reduce your risk of injury. Like I said at the start of the podcast, we get injured because we do too much too soon and or make these abrupt changes beyond your capacity to adapt. That doesn't have anything to do with how flexible you are and we have a vast amount of studies to look at all these runners getting injured and try and find some common patterns, and there's just none. There's those who do too much too soon, they break down, but there's no baseline characteristics around how flexible you are, what shoe type you wear, what how flat your foot is, uh, what your running mechanics are like. There's just no correlation that's going to predict your likelihood of getting injured um, in the future. So... There's that. So static stretching does nothing to reduce your risk of injury. There's studies out there to show that uh, stretching beforehand doesn't do anything to increase your running performance. Uh, and when it comes to recovery, stretching doesn't do anything for DOMS or like to help your recovery. I think that I haven't come across, but I've been told by some pretty reputable people that if you stretch outside of your running days, like if it's not a part of your warm-up routine, but if you do yoga a couple of times a week outside of running, it might do something to help performance. Um, but I, I just haven't come across that sort of um, stuff yet. If I was to if I was to focus on doing something outside of running, I'd definitely focus on strength training for performance rather than stretching if you mm. had to choose one or the other. But like you said, and this is the advice I have for a lot of runners, you do what feels good for you. If you you try running without stretching, see how that feels. And if you're trying to do like an intense session, I'd recommend a proper warm-up. So like walking, jogging, doing some lunges, doing something just to prepare the body for what it's about to do. But if you're just doing a weekend long run, try not stretching and just slowly easing into it. Try stretching for five minutes. Try stretching for one minute. Try stretching for 10 minutes and just try a whole bunch of different things and see what feels better for you. And then that's what you should do. And you should do it because that's what makes you feel better. And that's one of the statements you made is when, when you went to yoga, you felt better. You felt better afterwards. You felt better the next day. And so I'd recommend don't stop doing yoga because it's making you feel better. Someone might do the exact same routine and just feel indifferent. Some might actually feel worse, but we can't convince ourselves of what that stretching is actually achieving. And that's where I need to um, – what gets me a little bit irritated is because when I talk to a lot of runners and they say I'm injured and I say, oh, you know, um, how can we help? And they're like, I know I'm injured all the time. I'm constantly getting injured, but I know it's because I don't stretch enough. And that's a belief that they have. And that's because they believe that to be true. They're, they're then focusing on – they're getting injured because they don't stretch enough. I hear it so many times. But in reality, they're probably getting injured because of some training errors or because they're under-recovering or just because of it's a poor running program that they're doing. It's not well-designed. 
but they're not focusing on any of that because they think that it's the stretching side of things. Mm. And so their their focus is elsewhere and it's ruining their performance and it's like costing them, you know, several months out because of injuries because their beliefs are totally inaccurate and their focus should be drawn elsewhere. Yeah. So when it comes to, um, I'm just thinking in terms of range of movement, like this isn't necessarily to do with injury. That's a super interesting response, by the way, man. It's a, it's such a new approach. It's, it's almost like it just has to settle in for a little bit because I reckon I've been culprit to saying to anyone who's constantly sore or, you know, on the brink of injury, Hey, maybe you should do like a little bit more stretching and strength work. And I know you said strength work's probably a good recommendation to make sure people are doing some efficient work when it comes to that. But, um, in terms of accessing an efficient, technique and an efficient stride is there any evidence to support that some um, stretching routines can help that just in terms of uh, I, I remember sitting at school when I was about 15 or 16 sitting across from a bloke in my class uh, Danny Moore great fella and he was sitting there trying to cross his legs and dude he's 15 and it was just so severely limited that he he just couldn't do it it was uh, it was it was embar- it looked like an 80 year old man trying to do it and I remember thinking, that surely can't be good, because this is a guy I used to run with a little bit. I was thinking, surely that can't be good for your efficiency of, of movement, like if your hammies are tight or if your hips are tight or if your arms are tight. Being able to just get into a nice range of motion where you're allowing your legs to actually access their full range of stride is is going to be impacted. Is that something that, um, from your perspective, is is true? Or uh, and I know this is sort of veered away from the subject of injury, and it's coming to more the subject of efficiency. But I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, a few things there. So one, you're talking about the range of movement that's required for running, and if you're a sprinter or if you're a swimmer or doing team sports, there's probably some benefit to static stretching and increasing a range of movement because we're putting the body through greater ranges of movement. If you are a recreational runner. You don't put your body through a lot of movement. If anything, it's maybe hip extension would be the one that I would say some people might be able to get a bit more flexibility with. Um, But when it comes to your ankles, when it comes to your knees, when it comes to your lower back, we're not putting our body through even close to range, end of range. Um, Mm. You do it your knee, like with knee extension, but if you can't stretch, if you can't stand straight with your knees straight, then I don't know, you've probably got other issues going on. But (laughs) there is some like when I was taught um, by these like running researchers, they described that there, there might be like a U shape, a U curve where there's su- there's those on one side of the spectrum that are hypermobile who have increased mm-hmm. a range, amount of flexibility. They need to be more focusing on strength and control of their joints because they're so hypermobile. And then you've got every uh, the vast majority in in the middle who have adequate flexibility that don't really need to improve their range of movement. Then there's a small percentage on the other side that are so stiff and so um, and so limited by their range of movement that if they were just to run straight away, they their biomechanics would be mm. altered because they don't have that range of movement. And that might be someone who can't cross their legs, or someone who really has really poor hip extension, someone who has really poor ankle mobility um particularly in that dorsiflexion like lifting the the toes up that sort of range um i haven't come across um very many runners i reckon it's probably one or two percent of the general population that are that stiff and a lot of that percentage is like um those who are running into their 60s or those who are running into their 70s um they'll probably 
benefit from a bit more mobility work and stretching before they go out for a run. But the vast majority of runners, the vast majority of recreational runners already have the range of movement required for running. But I know like if I do a, uh, a fast session, if I'm doing intervals, I like to stretch my hips. I like to open up my hips. I feel better. Um, but like I said, we, we want to, we can't convince ourselves of what it's achieving. I do it because I feel better from it. And I don't think it's going to reduce my risk of injury. I don't think it's going to increase my performance. I think I do it because I feel better uh, to prepare myself for what I'm about to do. So I guess that's my answer. Yeah. Do distance runners in general have tighter hips than the general population? I don't know if this is just unique to me, but I probably do yoga three or four times a week, maybe for 45 minutes to an hour a session on a good week, but at least 30 minutes three times a week. And I'm quite flexible when it comes to my hamstrings. I'm quite flexible when it comes to pretty much every part of my body. And despite how many pigeon poses I do, and despite how many times I practice this fire log pose or practice this sitting cross-legged, the idea of sitting down cross-legged for me is is a nightmare. I find it so uncomfortable. Um, if you put me on the floor and said, sit there for half an hour with your legs crossed, I'd be in so much pain. I need something to lean my back against. And I'm trying to figure out, like I, I, I can see gradual improvements, though very slow. And I've heard people say to me before, just in general conversation, it could be a throwaway comment that, oh, of course, your hips are sore. You've been a runner for so many years. Uh, I, I haven't. That's probably out of my mm. um, expertise. But I, everyone's just, everyone's so individual like they have some people are flexible in some areas than others i know women are usually more flexible in their their hips because of the the actual shape of their hips is is different to males uh usually females are more flexible when it comes to um like just general range of movement hamstrings and things like that but i think it's just the individual like i have males runners non-runners that are on the same like wide spectrum they just some have flexibility some don't whether that's been like years and years of training potentially um hard to say outside of my expertise like i said but um yeah i would just try and i wouldn't try and force like certain things if you can't cross your legs i wouldn't try and continuously try and (laughs) regain that mobility because like if you're not a yoga instructor if you're not a yoga teacher you probably don't need that level of function but Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's I guess, my opinion on it. It's funny that you mentioned how much more flexible girls are in general than boys because my wife comes and sits down who does yoga maybe once a week, very rarely, not consistent, and she'll sit next to me with her legs crossed as I'm trying to do it. And she's like, mate, like, how long have you been doing yoga for? Look at me. Look how easy I'm. <laughs> yeah. She just comes in and starts throwing, you know, starts throwing big swings at me. Um, so her touching her toes and crossing her legs is, is just like a joke. She's like, yeah, you look like clearly don't need yoga, but <laughs> I probably should keep practicing. Mate, when it comes to running injuries, um, obviously so many different ranges and it's a really broad spectrum of what runners experience. But one of the biggest misconceptions that you've mentioned is that um, when it comes to injuries, the best way to get it sorted is to rest it completely. I was hoping you could walk us through that misconception a little. Yeah, a lot of these misconceptions make intuitive sense. Like, Mm -hmm. Like I said, with the orthotics or with, um, supportive shoes you get that side-by-side comparison of like a foot collapsing and everything's falling out of place and then it all magically realigns once there's support under there these misconceptions they just make intuitive sense and one of them is around um what you were just saying and 
um, I've sort of forgot what you said. What was the what, what was the topic we we're talking oh, about? No, oh. we're just speaking about yeah, injury. Like the best way to navigate injuries is it rest it completely, or That's do right. we just yeah, gradually yeah. move our way back? Dude, story of my life. I've totally if feel the, your pain. Um, if the body undergoes some sort of overload and starts getting sore, uh, or your joints are feeling particularly stiff with a, a certain injury, it makes sense to just like completely rest and let the body recover, let the body sort of rejuvenate, and then you're good to go again. But Often, very often, that's not the case. Very often, we need to still keep uh, a certain amount of load through the joint. We still need to maintain some level of strength while the body is healing in order to have a full recovery. And very often, I explain this concept called the pain-rest-weakness downward spiral. And it is simply that when a structure becomes irritated, whether it's your Achilles, whether it's a plantar fascia, whether it's your knee, um, your groin, whatever injury might have you, if that's sensitive because of pain, it's unable to tolerate the same level of loads that it used to in the short term because it's sensitive. It can't go through that same amount of load. So in, so it's temporarily become weaker. The structure has become weaker. It's unable to tolerate that same level of load. And if you can combat that with complete rest sometimes for a week and just say i just need some time off you're trying to combat a weakened structure with complete rest which further weakens that structure and so that when you return back to running or the event that you usually do a lot of people often go back to the same mileage or the same intensity that they were at Mm. pre-injury and because that's that structure is now a bit weaker it flares up again and so that flare-up will cause more tissue sensitivity which means it's tolerating less load which means it becomes weaker again and a lot of a lot of runners interpret that like oh i'm just not healed yet Mm -hmm. i just need to give my body more time and so they now take two weeks off so they've had three weeks of no running or no no strengthening and it's become a lot weaker so then they're like oh let me just go for a jog let me just see if i'm ready and that increases sensitivity because that's now too much and they're like what's going on here like i've now I can't now I can't even jog for two Ks without it flaring up. And that's because we're heading down that downward spiral, that pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral. And it can get to the point I I think plantar fasciitis is a um, a perfect example of this. It sometimes spiral down to the point where people spend time maybe just walking around for an hour and that flares it up, or they're walking barefoot for ten minutes and that flares it up just because they're so weak and that structure can now it can't tolerate any load. And so that's when if someone does get injured, no matter what the injury, we need to find, okay, what can you currently do? What's your current capacity without flaring up symptoms? It might be a really slow jog. It might be avoiding hills. It might be just um, avoiding like heavy squats. It might just be doing something. What can we do? What? And once we establish that, once we find what you can do, Without flaring up symptoms, that's our um, that's now our baseline. We continue doing that throughout the week so that we're still healing. We're not flaring up the symptoms. We're still staying fit. We're still keeping all the structures healthy and strong. And that's when we can build back up from that. And that's where it needs a little bit more guidance, a little bit of expertise, depending on the level of injury, the type of injury, what sort of things you can and can't do, like uh, a bit of guidance around that. But that's the real way for like an effective rehab hmm. 
Man, it's a, a topic which is obviously like like physio in general, running in general. It's very individualized in a lot of cases, and I'm sure we've we've hit a couple of subjects that people are really interested in, and maybe we've sort of navigated around a couple. But for for people who are listening to this and they're like, oh, I'd actually really like to pick your brain on on something in particular. Like I know you've got your your clinic, which I'd love you to talk about, and you've got your podcast, which has gone gangbusters. Um, but also, I don't know if we started the recording when you were telling me about the online program that you're running just to you know help people through so do you want to just spend a couple of minutes just walking through that for anyone who's interested in in potentially getting on board yeah of course thanks for that so i i usually recommend the first go-to thing if someone wants to learn more is go to the podcast that's usually um it's a very well structured podcast that will like you'll learn so much straight away and the first 10 episodes of my podcast covers the 10 universal principles to overcome any injury. And these are principles that any runner needs to know. So if you want to learn more, do that. That's number one. If you love the podcast and you're listening through and you're learning a lot, but you want to enhance, I guess, the experience, that's where the the course comes into it. It is a paid course. And there are several courses based on what you want to learn more about, but that has like the visual component. So we go through graphs, we go through like people running at different styles. And so we can have that visual element that I'm unable to do on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but that's probably the the progression if you want to learn more. But I always tell people just to start the podcast and you'll learn so much just listening to a lot of the episodes that I have on there. Um, but also if you want tailored advice, feel free to reach out. Like I am on, I do have the podcast Facebook group and I am pretty active on Instagram and stuff like that. So feel free to send out a message if you have any particular questions. Awesome, man. Do you do Zoom sessions and Skype sessions and stuff as well? Or is it all, all in person? Yeah, so if someone wants to work with me one-on-one, I do online physio for runners. Uh, they're, they're the only people I treat. And my website is breakthroughrunning.physio. That's my website. Um, and if we, if someone's reached out to me on social media and I think they're, it's right up their alley for online physio, then we usually go down that avenue. And it's similar to like a, a Zoom call, but I use different a different platform. But yeah, it's essentially um, you have two options. You have like a week of essentially unlimited physio or one month of unlimited physio, depending on your situation. But yeah, so you sign up for a month. We do a Zoom call or, you know, uh, whatever the, the platform that I do use. And then throughout that month, we're constantly back and forth with either emails or messages or another more video sessions or just phone calls and just keeping you on track with whatever goals you have might be overcoming injuries or preparing for a marathon that sort of thing um so yeah there is that option yeah beautiful man no worries i'll tag a couple of your things in the um show notes below just for the ease of anyone who wants to check it out but um mate i know you said you've been a busy man so what's going on with with thursday at time recording this i might try and put this out tomorrow if i can um what do you what do you got planned over the weekend things are starting to loosen up a little bit here in melbourne which is nice you're a melbourne boy aren't you yeah yeah melbourne yeah Yeah. um yeah i'm actually going out for a swim um on saturday morning with my girlfriend which i haven't swam for a long time so i'll be sure to not overdo things as all the lessons (laughs) i've learned from today's episode um yeah i'll be getting out for a bike ride on sunday with the mates and just like starting to get some like social socializing with my exercise combined so it's it's going to be nice rather than just me exercising on my own man it's so nice to see people running and riding in a group now yeah (laughs) awesome man well hey great to have you back on good to catch up again thanks for coming twice had a blast thank you (laughs) 